Well, today, uh, we are actually returning uh, to a sermon series that we started in the fall. Uh, we're going to go back to the book of First Peter. Um, in the fall, we actually spent 10 weeks um, in this book already. And now, entering into the spring, we're going to finish the book with another 10 weeks. And so, we're actually going to be here for a while. 20 weeks altogether, 10 weeks in the fall. So, if you're new, you want to listen to those sermons, they're all available online. They're on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, whatever. Uh, it's all up there for you to listen to if you want to catch up. Um, but we're going to be here for a while or through the duration of the spring. And, and just in case you decide not to go back and, 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 and listen, um, or if you're new, or you are like, wait, like, we, we studied First Peter, but you've been here. Um, like, we had Christmas, and then there was another series, and 21 Days of Prayer. I have no idea what happened during First Peter. Um, as I'm going to attempt to remind you where we've been, uh, especially if you're new. Uh, and so let me do a really quick recap. I'm going to recap the first two chapters of First Peter as fast as I can. All right? Um, the book of First Peter is only one of, of two letters that we have written by the Apostle Peter. Um, and, we, and we know that Peter uh, was a personal friend. Uh, he was a personal disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, he lived with Jesus. Um, he saw Jesus uh, do all these amazing things, all these, all these amazing teachings. He was there. Um, he, he saw Jesus uh, die on the cross, and he was a, a personal eyewitness, this is important, a personal eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus as well. Uh, and we know that, that shortly following Jesus' resurrection, Peter became a, a leader in the early church. He devoted his entire life to the teachings of Jesus. And actually, later on, he would, he would die for those beliefs. He would, he would die uh, for his Christian faith. He was actually crucified as well, uh, but he was crucified upside down. Um, he actually, that was his last request, actually. He, he asked to be crucified upside down so that he didn't, because he didn't believe he had the right or the honor to die the exact same way as his, his Lord. So he, he died um, through crucifixion upside down. Uh, but now turning to this letter specifically, uh, we see a really simple purpose, a very simple focus in 1 Peter. 1 Peter is written to encourage Christians to stand firm in the faith. To encourage followers of Jesus, he calls us exiles, to encourage us on how to navigate life in a world that is not our true home. Peter wants to help his readers, again, people who are following Jesus, to flourish, to flourish amidst all the suffering, all of the trials, and all of the heartache that they face. And so to do that, to encourage us, Peter opens up his letter by reminding us of who we are in Christ. He reminds us of who we are in Christ, who we are through faith in Jesus who we are now, right now, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what God has done for us through the person of Jesus Christ. Peter reminds us, then, that we are born again to a living hope. We have hope. 
that we are born into an inheritance that is unfading, that is undefiled. Peter says that we, we, the body of Christ, we are a a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood, ambassadors for the Lord. We are a people of God's own possession. The first chapter and a half of 1 Peter is just filled with all this wonderful and encouraging, uh, all of these reminders of, of who we are as God's children, who we are as his followers. And then what he does, right about halfway through chapter 2, I think it starts right around verse 11 or so, we see Peter, again, he makes this big turn. He shifts sort of there. And what he says is this, that in light of what is true about us, in light of these incredible gospel realities, he says, live in light of who you are. So who, here's who you are in Christ. This is what he's done for you. Who, here's who you've become. Now live in light of who you are. Know who you are and live your life accordingly. And so he urges us to, to kill sin, to live honorably, and to do as much good as we can until Jesus returns. That's his message. He's not saying, get yourself right with God. Do your, do your best to get yourself right with God, right? We are right with God through faith, right? It's grace, right? Receive that grace we just sang about, right? We, but we love God. We obey God. Why? Because we are loved by him, called by him, and set apart by him. Well, then Peter moves to tell us as exiles, as citizens of heaven, citizens of God's kingdom, he says, here is how you are to relate to in all these different areas of life. So he starts, here's how you are to relate to your bosses, right, as an exile. Here's how you're to relate uh, to, to your employees as a sojourner. He gets really practical. He says, here's how we relate to uh, unjust suffering in our world if you're a part of the kingdom of God. Here's how we're to respond to politics. Here's how we're to respond to our government. And then today, we turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3. And he just continues this flow, and we see Peter open a conversation about our relationships. How do we approach being a wife How do we approach being a husband as citizens of heaven, as children of God? That's how Peter starts chapter 3. Now, one of the challenges that we face, or I guess I could say one of the challenges that I face, since I'm going to be the one trying to do this, when we come to passages like this that Stephen and Linda read for us, is the question, uh, what about singles? Um, and even if you've read through the Bible, right, you notice there really isn't a lot of direct teaching on singleness. And the reason for that is, isn't because, certainly, is not because God doesn't care about it or, or care about singles. The reason is because for most of human history, Singleness wasn't really even a reality. Um, Actually, for much of time, marriage 
was basically a matter of life or death. Um, It was a matter of survival. Um, It wasn't even as much about companionship as much as it was about surviving in this world. And so that's the reason why for thousands of years, right, from the beginning of time, thousands of years, marriages were mostly arranged. Again, it wasn't as much about companionship. It was about people have to be married to live, right? Parents, grandparents, they, they, uh, they, they chose husbands and wives for their children to ensure what they considered at that time a better life. This is how you can thrive. This is how you can flourish. Now, obviously, um, our cultural context is much, much different. Right? Particularly in urban areas, let's say large cities like the one we're in, in Seoul, we live, actually now, much more, uh, in a much more unmarried society. Um, and you see that, by the way, it doesn't matter um, if it's the world or in the church. It's the, it's the same, largely the same. And you even see that within our church, within Freedom Village. You might not know this because you've been online for a year, most of you. But of the adults in our gathering, and let's call that 18 and older, we are almost literally, by, by the, like one or two people, a 50-50 split. Um, adults. Half of our gathering here is married. Um, half of our gathering here is, is single. And so because of that, it's actually really important that as much as we talk about marriage, we talk about singleness. Because it's so relevant, not just to our world and to our society, but also to the church, to our church. And so pastorally, I believe I have a duty, um, an obligation to, to, teach, to teach on it, to cover it all. And so what we're going to do um, is actually over the next three weeks, we're going to land. We're going to sit in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Uh, we're going to talk about godly wives next week. We're going to talk about uh, godly husbands the week after that. But today, we're going to actually bring out principles for godly singleness through this text here today. I believe we can clearly do that, rightfully do that. Now... Uh, let me just say this as well. Um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's important for all of us to hear. It doesn't matter if you are single, if you are, your status is a wife, your status is a husband. Each of these three weeks, starting today, is extremely relevant to you. Very relevant to you. Through each of these three weeks, uh, there are things for you to learn about how to love, about how to serve, about how to pray, Um, how to encourage other believers in your life, um, and how to personally be more like Jesus. All of it is relevant. All of it. And so I want to just clarify that because there could be this like sense that like um, we walk into this week and if you're single today, you'd be like, okay, good, today's for me. Right? And then then for those of you who are wives, you'd be like, okay, I can chill and check out today um, because next week's for me. And then I'm going to listen even harder the week after that to tell my husband what he's supposed to do, right? Um, and husband's the same, right? Like, oh, I can just chill today, fine. But, you know, if you're, if you're a husband or a wife here today, you're considering even having children, um, 
you know, this is relevant to you because singleness will be a reality for your children. So, um, and, and you have singles in your life that you know that you need to share the gospel with and speak gospel truths to. So this is very relevant to you as well. So, so let's get started with this. And, and what I want to do before we even get into the scripture, I want to lay down some principles and some, I think, important categories for singleness, just so that we're all on the same page. And what I want to say first um, and I could do an entire sermon on this, but I won't. Um, but what I want to say first from the very outset is this very important, very significant reminder, very significant reminder that Jesus himself was single. You know that, but I want to remind you of that. I don't want us to overlook that reality. I actually want you to consider it. Because Think about this. How do we know, as the church, how do we know what it means to be fully human? Have you ever thought about this? Who is our standard for living here on the earth? Who is our standard for being human? We know. Jesus, right? So listen, what that means then important that the wisest we'd all agree on this the wisest most brilliant compassionate fulfilled being who ever lived whoever walked this earth was single and i think that communicates something very important to us that singleness is not a lesser or incomplete state of being that actually the Bible has a very, we'll see this, has a very high view of singleness, which is unique, very unique, not just among religions, but even in the world that we live in. The Bible has a very high view of singleness. But don't, don't singles, and those of you who are single here, you know this, don't you typically in our world hear a very different message? Right, from family, friends, whatever, TV, movies, whatever, you hear a very different message. Even within the church, uh, things like this. You need to find someone to complete you. Or how about this one? I've heard this one before. Before you can marry someone wonderful, you need to become someone wonderful. You heard that? Or this is a good one. This is a good one. You know, as soon as, this is so church, this is so Christianese. You know, as soon as you are satisfied with God and God alone, then he'll bring someone special into your life. Right? Heard that one, right? And I know, I know these are often well-intentioned. Good, you know, godly people say these things. But, they actually communicate. When we talk like that, when we think like that, they actually communicate a prerequisite for marriage, don't they? They imply that actually something is wrong with you. That when you just get it right, when you put together the right formula, when you become a, just a little bit more satisfied, fully satisfied in God, then you're ready. And then God will just usher in, like, right, and there's a wind, he'll usher in that person. Ah, oh, there he is, right? You're now fully satisfied, satisfied in God. God is going to reward you. 
Culture tells us, again, even Christianity often tells us that to be single means that you are not yet fully formed, that you are not yet fully mature, or or I'll say it this way, that you are lacking in some way. And my hope today, so my hope today, is to just, I thought of a way to phrase this, how to phrase this. My hope today is just to totally obliterate that thinking, to destroy that thinking, to get us to realize that any notion that communicates that singleness means that your life is on hold, that your life is on pause right now, is totally wrong. Anti-gospel, actually. Again, Jesus himself was single. Was Jesus lacking? Was Jesus' life on hold? Was he incomplete? Did Jesus need to become more satisfied or more fully satisfied with God the Father? Was that a problem for him? I don't think so. I don't think so. So I just wanted to start there, right, before we even get into the text. I just want to start there. And then the last thing that I want to say just really quickly about singleness before we jump into 1 Peter 3 is that when you look through Scripture, you can really see singleness broken down into three really broad categories. Okay? Three broad categories. First, okay, so if you're taking notes, it won't be on the screen, but three broad categories of singleness. First... First, we see those that make a decision to remain single for either a season of their life or permanently for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus actually calls them eunuchs um, in Matthew chapter 19, verses 11 and through 12. And so these are people who um, maybe they have a conviction to be a, a long-term overseas missionary in a very... Um, dangerous country, for example, right? You can, you hear uh, stories of that. I, I know someone personally in my life. She's a single lady. Um, uh, I won't use her full name, but her name is Melissa. She lives in the Middle East. She's chosen a life of singleness um, because she's in a very, very dangerous part of the world. And so she's chose, chosen to forego having a family for the sake of the kingdom. Second, Okay, people who choose. Second, we see in the New Testament that some, some people have actually been given the gift of singleness. The gift of singleness. Just like um, there are other God-given gifts like teaching and evangelism and discernment, right? prophecy. There are different God-given gifts. And the Apostle Paul himself, he, he at least indicates in, in his writings that he, he had this gift himself, this gift of singleness, which allowed him, allows others to, again, serve God sort of, I'll say, freely, to serve the Lord freely with, with no distractions, and then another part of this, or any overwhelming desires for physical in, intimacy. So, so the Lord gives some people that gift. And then third, Third category, so those who choose, those who are given the gift of singleness. And then third, I think this is probably the larger category, um, but we see prolonged singleness as a God-given trial. As a God-given trial. And, And just like other trials, 
And we know as followers of Jesus, we all have them, right? This trial is to help make us more like Jesus. But as a trial, this is a very real thing. It involves, and it can involve, loneliness, uh, anxiety, uh, unfulfilled dreams. Right? And it can be incredibly, incredibly difficult. So this is how we can categorize singleness. And I, I believe why singleness or why we see singleness experienced so differently from person to person. It just depends who they are and the season that they're in and, and how God is working and moving in their life in that particular season. And so now with that, now with that, we're going to ask the big question, right? How do we then, how do we navigate life as a single follower of Jesus in a world that is not our true home? How should a person approach singleness as a sojourner, a traveler, a visitor, as an exile in this world? And so now we get to jump in to 1 Peter chapter 3. And what I'm going to do through these next seven verses, I'm going to show you four principles for godly singleness. So if you're taking notes, that's where we're headed today. Four principles for godly singleness. And I was fair, okay? Two of the principles are going to be directed to the ladies. Two of the principles are going to be directed toward, uh, towards the guys. And then there's going to be a lot of practical application woven throughout this as well. All right, so let's read verses 1 through 2 again and start building our foundation. This is what Peter says. He says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So Peter has made the decision to start with the ladies. Um, He's a gentleman, I guess. And so I'll follow Peter, um, and we'll start with the ladies. I believe that uh, Peter's first words of encouragement to you, ladies, is simply this, to become who you are. To become who you are. That's the first point, uh, the first principle uh, directed towards uh, ladies from this, this text. Ladies, become who you are. In verse 1, we see there a call to be subject, he says, to be subject to your own husbands. And be subject there, um, it literally means, hold on to your seats, right? This is the cringe right, for some of you. It literally means to submit. That's what it means. And of course, that raises a ton of questions in our culture, right? Even within the church. So let me just encourage us to, to take the time briefly to, to, to step back, breathe, right? Let's not get too emotional. Realize that God himself, okay, has inspired these words, has said these words, used Peter to say this. He has used the phrase here, subject, be subject, submit, uh, for our good, for our flourishing, not to harm us, not to harm us at all. And so, Let's see what he means by this. Um, we're going to go into more, much more detail next week when we address wives specifically. But for now, um, let's at least understand what Peter is not saying. Okay? Peter, Peter is not telling all women here to be subject to all men. Okay? We don't see that here. 
This is wives specifically. This is wives to husbands. So you're not called, ladies, you're not called to submit to your boyfriend, to your boss, okay, or to the male barista down the street, okay? This is wives to husbands. Okay, and ladies, uh, Peter is saying this here because ultimately the big picture here is Peter wants you to think about your character. Peter's very concerned with your character. That's why he uses words here like conduct, respect, and purity. We actually see the word conduct there twice. Twice, two times we see the word conduct. And in using that word conduct, he's speaking of the pureness of your moral living. That's literally what it means. It's your moral living, the pureness of your moral living. So he's encouraging you, he's encouraging you, ladies, to live a life of killing sin. To live a life that, that earnestly and, and continually asks for forgiveness and receives grace from the Lord. It's a life. He wants you to live a life of walking in faith, acknowledging that you are not perfect, but he is. God is. This is Peter imploring you, encouraging you, sort of cheering you on to say, align your heart, align your mind, your your whole self, your heart more fully with the Lord. Get in tune with the Lord. And what about that word respect? That word respect. Well, it means, literally means to properly esteem. It means to regard. It means to show honor to those who are in different spheres of life. So that would, that would then relate to your boss or to leaders in your life or to elders or to the government or to your parents. You're to esteem them, regard them, respect them, honor them. See, Peter is concerned with your character because your character reveals what's going on in your heart. So you can think about it this way. Our character, in many ways, is a public display of where we've put our hope and where we have put our trust. Our character puts what's in our heart on display. And so if your hope, if your hope, ladies, is found in being accepted by others, if that's where your hope is found, you want to be accepted, deeply accepted by others, then perhaps you find yourself doing anything and everything just to please others. And that pleasing reveals the deepest hope within you. Or let's say that your deepest uh, sense of security is found in life going, going according to your plan. So you're here and oh, your, your security is making sure everything goes the right way, according really to your way. And then maybe, maybe then, you live your life trying to control things. Or maybe even um, without knowing it or sometimes knowing it, that you actually live a life where you try to manipulate others for things to go your way. Or if your deepest sense of, of trust is found in your own efforts, in your own doing. Right? It's masked usually in independence. 
I can do it. Then perhaps that's why you're often, you're often in your life, you're often frustrated. You're often impatient, not just with yourself, but with others around you. Hey, maybe that's why you have a spirit of complaining. Because things don't and won't always go your way. You see, our deepest trust, hope, worth, security, always reveal itself in our everyday lives, how we live our lives, in our character. And so really, then, I think it's, it's right for us to say, I think it's a good way to categorize it for some of you, that really our character is theological. Your character is theological because how you live reveals what you believe. And understand, understand, Peter is calling you to this, ladies. He's calling you to this, to purity of conduct and to respect because of everything that he wrote previous to this. Right? Peter has told you, he's told you that Jesus is the only one worthy of your deepest trust. He's your rock, not this world. Right? He's your ultimate hope. He said that. Only he and nothing else can satisfy the ache and the longings of your soul. Only he can give you true and ultimate self-worth. Right? And clearly, right? And clearly. This is true for guys as well. All of this, right? But Peter directs this here. He directs it to women. He says, intentionally seek to align the realities of your character with the realities of Jesus, with the things that are true of you now in Christ. In other words, become who you are in him. Become who you are in Jesus. So love the word. Love the word. Learn God's promises. Pursue godliness. Make Jesus the, let's call it the access of your life where everything hinges and tilts on him. He's your center. No, ladies, no, you will always fall short, but his grace is more. Know your sin. Get to know your sin, but also deeply know your Savior. So prioritize how you are or who you are becoming. Prioritize who you are becoming. Listen, listen. Know, know this, that your character is so much more. Your character is so much more important than your relationships. Any of your relationships. Because, because your character always goes on to affect the quality and experience of your relationships. I'll say that again. Know, know that your character is so much more important than your relationships. Because your character will always go on to shape, to affect the quality and experience of your relationships. So become who you are in Jesus. Become who you are in Jesus, ladies. And if you are intended to be married, if you are intended to be married, this, doing this, will set you up very well. 
And if you are not intended to be married, you will still, you will still be prepared to live a life that glorifies God and expands his kingdom. So ask yourself, again, all of us could ask ourselves this, but specifically to the ladies, ask yourself now, am I, am I materialistic? Am I, a, am I modest? Am I a gossip? Am I critical? Am I often negative? Do I live a life of self-control? Am I patient? Right? Don't get overwhelmed here. But at the same time, I encourage you, ask the Holy Spirit, even now, ask him to highlight some things about your character and ask him for his help to start working some of these things out. Certainly no one is perfect, but what is the trajectory of your life? Where are you headed? Who or what are you becoming? Because here's the thing. As you become more like Jesus... As you become more like Jesus, women, this leads, always, it always leads to the cultivation of true beauty, which is the next point. Peter calls you to, calls you to adorn your heart. It's the second principle for ladies, our ladies here today. Number two, Peter calls you to Adorn your heart. It's verses three through four. Adorn your heart. Let's read this together. It says, Do not let the adorning, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight, this is good, is very precious. Here in verses 3 through 4, Peter is getting us to consider how we define true beauty. And so let me, let me ask you uh, right now, right? Let me put this right out in front of you. Um, how do you, right now, how do you define beauty? To you, it's the first thing, first couple things that comes to your mind when you think about beauty. What is beautiful? I think um, if it, we were able to, you know, as you're all thinking, if there was just those mind bubbles that were going up and we could read all of each other's thoughts, I think that we would find, actually, that many of us are probably much more influenced by what culture says is beautiful than what God himself says is beautiful. And that's really worth noting and worth talking about. To illustrate this, uh, Peter points to Sarah, Abraham's wife in verses 5 through 6. And those verses raise all sorts of questions, okay? Namely, the part where she calls him Lord, okay? Um, But we're going to handle those next week, right? It's going to be really interesting, I think. But we'll at least start by saying this, that Peter isn't saying, this is important, because some actually denominations, Christian groups, they go this way. Peter isn't saying here, though, he's not saying you can't wear jewelry. Okay? Peter is not saying that you can't braid your hair. I was looking around quickly. I'm like, oh, am I going to be in trouble? He's not saying you're safe. So if your hair is braided, you're good. All right, at home. Peter's also not saying that you shouldn't or cannot wear nice clothes. 
He's also not saying the opposite of that. He's not saying, be shabby. That's the command. Okay? There's nothing wrong with dressing well, having nice hair, wearing makeup. But listen, Peter's concern here, though, is this, is a preoccupation with those things. That's a problem. Peter, our God as well, they do not want you. The Bible is clear that you should not be like the culture. You should be set apart. So Peter is saying, don't find your ultimate sense of beauty in outward beauty, but in the internal beauty of the heart. He's saying, your exterior, interesting way to think about this. He's, he's saying, your exterior, the outward part of you, is not the only part of you, or even the most important part of you that needs to be dressed. Right? You got up this morning and you made a priority to, to put clothes on. Okay, we're all gracious, you know, we're great, we're gracious for that. You chose to come here today, okay, maybe you're home and you've put on clothes. He's saying that's not even the most important thing that you do. The most important thing that you do is that you dress the inward part of you. And that's what we see in verse 4, right? He says there, don't forget about the hidden person of the heart. Okay? Don't forget about, the, the, about dressing the hidden person of the heart, ladies. Because she needs to be dressed too. And really, this is just an argument to say that outward beauty or exterior, exterior adornment. It what? It, we know this. It perishes, it fades, it tears, it gets old, right? It goes out of fashion, right? And if you've been keeping up with social media or trends right now, you know that to be true, right? There's this big thing out there right now. It's happening in the States where Gen Z, which I think is like 1997, born 1997 to 2015, something like that. They're attacking millennials, my generation, right? They're, they're saying, all right, if you wear like, if you like do like the LOL emoji anymore, you're old, right? This is the whole thing. It's hilarious. And then they're, they're showing how millennials dress. So they're like, all right, so for guys like, no, am I okay? Uh, I'm just making sure I'm not going to call myself out, but they're saying, okay, so for girls and guys like skinny jeans, no more. They're out. It means you're old if you wear skinny jeans now. Gen Z is saying this. They're also saying to ladies, right? They're all saying to ladies, girls are saying now, the part in your hair, is we do this, the part in your hair has to be directly in the middle. That means Gen Z. If you have a side part, you're old. It's a new thing now. This is a thing, all right? So I'm old, I, all right? Well, I'm old. I realize that. I'm like, oh, I'm old. It's okay, right? So, you know, whatever, Gen Z, all right? <laughs> if you're Gen Z here today. Right, but, but it's changed over time. And so you know this, right? If you, if you like to shop, or you go to the store, it doesn't matter. If you're a Gap, American Eagle, some of you are like Zara. I'm going to name all these stores. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? H&M. You go to those stores, it's tough. All the jeans are getting wider again. Right? They're getting this way. We're, go, we're going that way again, right? We've been there in the 70s. We were there in the 90s. We're coming back there again. Early 2000s, we're going back there again. Right? So, so things, your outward, your outward appearance, your exterior, it, it gets old quickly. It goes out of fashion. You're going to need a whole new wardrobe in 10 years. What you're wearing now, we're going to have pictures of ourselves. 10 years from now, we're going to look and be like, what was wrong with us? 
Right? Haven't you done that? Have you ever looked at a picture of yourself from like 15 years ago and you look at your haircut and you're like, what was I thinking? Or like, I'll say to my mom, like, could you please, like, could you at least like, you know, help me a little bit here? Right? We do this, right? You know this because you've seen yourself in past pictures. Things get old. They perish. They go out of fashion. But Peter says there is a beauty. There's a beauty, an adornment that does not perish, that never gets old. And that is the imperishable beauty of what? A quiet and gentle spirit, which is precious. That's an amazing word, by the way. Precious. It means, it means great worth, great value. To who? To people? No. To the Lord, in God's sight, in his eyes. Now, gentle and quiet here, um, they are not distinctly female traits. I think that's important to say as well. Got to be clear about that. Even we know, even Jesus is described as being gentle. Though we know he was very strong. Gentleness, it's a great word actually. Gentleness, it's another word for meekness. Meekness is a, is a great word in the scriptures. You should know that word, get to know that word. Especially, ladies, you should get to know that word. Men, Jesus was meek. You should aim to be meek. This is for all of us. Get to know that word meekness. It means this. It means restrained strength. Restrained strength. It means this, that um, I wouldn't consider myself the strongest guy in the world, but I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm bigger at least, okay? Right, don't, don't. Challenge me to push-up contest or anything. I'll probably lose to the majority of you. Okay, but restraining trigger would be this. Like, I could probably, if I wanted to, I don't know, don't test me, but I could probably, I'll use my phone as an example, or this pen, I could snap this microphone in half. I was really angry. And I'm strong enough. No, I couldn't do that. They're shaking their head. There's no way you could do it. (laughs) All right, whatever, right? Honor, honor, honor the leader, all right? All of you, you're failing the test. I could, encourage me, okay? I could break this microphone if I wanted to. I know I could. All right? But just because I can doesn't mean that I do it or that I should. That's what it means to be meek. I'm strong, but I'm restrained. And we also know that meekness is one of the, actually, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit, that should be in every single follower of Jesus. And so, again, it's important for me to say this because it's gotten so mixed up through culture over time, over the centuries. Being gentle here has nothing to do with weakness. Nothing. They're not related at all. This is strength. He's calling you, he's saying, be strong. That's who you are. You are strong, but be under control. And having a, a quiet spirit, having a quiet spirit, it means to have a heart that is, that is calm. Trusting, big word. A heart that is trusting. A heart that is not assertive. Not pushy. Right? It's a heart that knows that it belongs, that you belong to Jesus. And so it's a heart that is always at peace. That's what Peter is saying. You belong to Jesus. You are in Christ, ladies. So why are you anxious? Why why are you so chaotic? Why are you frantic? 
Why are you worrying? Why are you complaining about how things? Know who you are. Be at peace. Have a gentle and quiet disposition about you, about your character. Peter says, ladies, adorn your heart. Adorn. Dress Dress your heart with the imperishable beauty of strength under control of deep trust and real hope. Trust Jesus to supply all of your needs. Trust him to supply all of your needs. That's true beauty. That's what real beauty looks like. A beauty that will never fade, never perish like the rest of your wardrobe. A beauty that... God finds, God finds that beauty precious. And again, again, I'm not saying, and Peter wasn't saying to to go out and don't care about your appearance at all. He's not saying like go outside and wear a burlap burlap sack, like wear a potato sack, okay? If you want to do that, go ahead, go for it. That's up to you. I'm not judging, right? Maybe you'll start a new trend. Okay, but that's not what Peter is telling you That's not what Peter is telling you to do. He just wants you to have a proper view of your beauty. He wants you to put your beauty in perspective. And he wants you to focus on dressing the inside of you more than the outside of you. How many of you can say that you truly do that? And this is so important to get, isn't it? Because our world, you know this, our world knows none of this. Nothing of this. In our world, there is no beauty other than the exterior. It's the only beauty that exists. And we are bombarded, infiltrated with that idea everywhere we go, whether it's implicitly or explicitly. I thought, growing up as an American, I thought that was like pretty bad in America or like, wow, pretty significant in America until I moved here. There's no comparison whatsoever. So you know this living in Korea. It is, it's nothing but outward, right? You don't, in fact, you hide your inward, right? You don't put your inward on display to anybody. It's all about your outward. Who you are is all about your outward. And so women, and this is so, it's tragic. When you walk around, whether, again, you're told here, whether the States, anywhere, the world is all like this, but here in Korea especially, you are told, whether it's implicitly or explicitly, you are told that you are only as valuable as your physical attractiveness. And so because of that, and you know this, there is intense pressure, intense, to keep yourself up, to fight the effects of aging. You can't get old. I can't start to get old. Right? Because you're so focused on the exterior. And on and on and on and on and on. And so don't buy that narrative, ladies. Don't believe that lie. It is not of the kingdom. It's not of Jesus. It shouldn't be of the church. It's of the world. There is a beauty and an adornment, adornment that never goes out of style. It actually only ever increases. It's incredible. Your outward beauty decreases. Inward beauty increases. You can't buy it online. 
Okay, so you're going to search. Some of you search online. Fix your outward self. Can't buy this online. No one can give it to you. No one can fix you up. It can only be found in Jesus. In this view of women and beauty, let me be really clear on this. This is not a return to some chauvinistic era, right? Not at all. This is a return. This is God's people returning to what God himself has revealed to be precious since the beginning of time. So again, ladies, how do you define beauty? Do you allow God's word to shape how you view it? And how, right now, how are you adorning, adorning the hidden person in your heart? How is your inner person dressed today? Amidst your singleness, amidst your singleness, prioritize becoming who you are and the adorning of your heart and leave the results of doing so in God's hands. Amen? All right, now let's move on to the guys. I didn't forget about you, okay? We've got to move along quickly. First of all, fellas, first of all, guys, Peter tells you you're not going to get off easy. I'm going to tell you that right now. First of all, fellas, number one, uh, Peter says to you, uh, honor all women, okay? It is a principle for godly singleness, not just for guy, married guys, single guys too, all guys, honor all women, by the way, I don't know if you noticed this as we're reading through the text. It's hilarious to me. I guess I, I study the scripture, and so my job is to take notes of all the details. But I love how simple Peter keeps it for the guys. It's one verse. Uh, we're, we're simple-minded folk. So he's like, all right, ladies, here's a bunch of verses, so you can you know, go into the details. And think about for guys, like, if you can get one verse right, you're going to be good to go. So he gives you one verse. So guys, don't lose focus. You can make it. It's verse 7. All right, it's verse 7. Let's read it. Peter says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women, or the woman, as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Really interesting. Now, just like Peter addresses wives, but there were, uh, were principles to take from it for single women— Peter addresses husbands here, but certainly there are principles for single guys here as well, clearly. So let's highlight a couple things. First of all, uh, what does it mean to live with your wife in an understanding way? Well, Peter actually tells us, he says, on the one hand, uh, men are to show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And we're going to get back to what that means in a second. While at the same time, he says that we are co-heirs, co-heirs of the grace of life. And so what Peter's saying here is that men and women are different. But on the other hand, we are absolutely equal. That as brothers and sisters, as people who are in Christ, we are equals in that we are co-heirs of grace, co-heirs, co-rulers of the kingdom. So to simplify this, you could say it this way, men and women are distinct, but co-heirs, sorry, but equal co-heirs of God in Jesus. We are distinct, 
but equal co-heirs in Jesus. That's the understanding that Peter wants us to get at here. He's saying to men, he's saying to us guys, that we are to relate to women as equals, though we are distinct. Which brings us back to the point, what does Peter mean when he says that women are the weaker vessel? What does he say, what does he mean when Peter says that women are the weaker vessel? Well, again, let's be clear. We're trying to tear down walls and narratives here. Um, Bad theology. Um, What it doesn't mean is that women are inferior. And what it doesn't mean is that women are less valuable. Okay, that's not the context here at all, actually. Plus, we just know in general, right, very practically, we know this, that there are ways that women are stronger, more gifted than men. Okay, but what Peter then, what he does seem to be talking about here is our physical makeup. Literally the physical part of us, our physical makeup, our, our physical nature. That men, he's saying this, that men are physically stronger than women. And so in light of that, Peter says, honor them, men. Honor them. Because she is more vulnerable. Because she's more vulnerable, honor her. Whoever she is and however appropriate, in that relationship context, honor her. Value her. Respect her. Regard her. Esteem her as someone who is precious in the sight of God. Uh, think of it this way. Women are, are more like fine uh, china. Okay? And men are more like thermoses. All right? Um, like a Yeti. You've seen those? Or a hydro flask. Mark's got one. Do you have one up there? Mark, Mark's got one. He, can you run that to me really quick? If you've ever seen this thing, okay? This is a, sorry, I'm, gonna, I'm taking this from Mark. All right, he's probably like, why are you touching my water bottle? All right, like, women are like fine, you know, delicate china. Men are like these hydro flasks. Now, you can probably hear this. It's really strong. And Mark and I were joking about it before because he drops this thing all the time over in this corner, usually, even during the service. Like, during my sermon, like, three times, he just, like, clangs. This thing, it's funny. I'm not going to drop it or throw it on the ground, but this thing is really, really strong. Okay, this thing is... This thing's buzzing over here. It doesn't like your hydro flask. There's too much metal in there. It's really thick, really durable, okay, really strong. Men are more like that. Right? Men are just designed by God to be a, lit, a little bit more rough, right? Because we are, why? Because we are made to be the protectors. Men are created to guard, to care for to protect the fine, delicate China that is women. Right? And I know, and I know, our culture, our culture right now, I was thinking about this. I have notes on, from, like, from university 15 years ago on like singleness, manhood, womanhood. I was reading that stuff in these, this past week or so, and I'm like, oh my goodness, like 15 years ago, none of this was controversial. And now today, Like, I'm going through this, and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is controversial now. Our culture is changing rapidly. Our culture is doing everything that it can right now to blur these lines of manhood and womanhood. To eliminate, actually, gender altogether, as if it doesn't exist. But that, listen, it's important. 
We have to fight for this, stand for this. That's not the way of the kingdom. Listen, it will always be true. I'll give you an example. It will always be true that if a couple, man or woman, if a couple is walking down the street and someone threatens them, let's say a guy walks up, pulls out a knife, whatever, does the man stand behind the woman? Ever? Absolutely not. Never. Right? God-given masculinity senses, it's our instinct, senses a natural responsibility to step forward and to put ourselves in the way of danger, to protect and to honor women. Always. Always. And again, again, listen, this is so important. This is not an outdated message. This is not a cultural stereotype that we are, we are now trying to break free from. Right? This is an ontological, God-given responsibility that is actually hardwired into men. That we are to bear the weight and responsibility of protecting and honoring the women who are in and around our lives. Always. Listen. Again, I said this before, I'm going to say it again. This is written for all of our good and all of our flourishing. This is not meant to be a debate at all. And again, just for clarity's sake, because again, there's a lot of mud here that we have to work ourselves through. This doesn't mean that, women, that a woman is a coward okay, because she is served like this. No way. Ladies, you should be honored. Honored. If a man does this for you. Now, just because I know this is the way of the world, there's always, and a lot of times it's me, um, but there's always the contrarian in the, in, the, in the crowd listening at home. There's always the skeptic. And someone right now thought, one person at least thought, well, okay, but what if the woman really is physically stronger? Because I know a lot of women who actually are physically stronger. Like what if she's a ninja or a pro wrestler? Right? And the guy is really weak and frail. Right? Then what? Well, okay. In my humble opinion, it shouldn't change a thing. The guy is still hardwired wired to step in front of her, whatever, whoever he is. Maybe he flails his arms around for a while. Right? Do, does what he can. All right? You know, slaps the guy around. Whatever he does, flails around. And then maybe after that, she needs to step in front and finish the job, all right? Maybe that happens. But not before he does the honorable thing. And listen, you know this. That's why, think of like the Titanic, whatever. That's why when the boat is sinking, when the boat is going down, we know this instinctively. We don't have to think about it. It's always women and the children getting the lifeboats first, right? You don't even think about that. Of course, the men go down with the ship first. The men go down because we honor and protect, we respect women and children. We do that in society. We know that instinctively. That's not a debate. They always get in the lifeboats first. So fellas, guys, because of who you are in Jesus, your perspective should be always the women in and around your life. She's precious. Not weak. Hear me? She's not weak. She's precious, valuable, and so you treat her as such. You serve her. 
Protect her heart when you're in a relationship with her. Walk them to their car, or if you don't have a car, walk them to the subway, to the bus. Hey, open doors, guys. Don't lead them on. Be slow in entering a relationship with them and intentional when you do enter a relationship with them. I, I can keep ranting on the guys here. I could say a lot about this. Guys, you, you say that women are precious, valuable. You're God's man. You're Jesus' man. Okay, great. Stop using porn. If you really honor and respect women, stop looking at porn. Right? This country, again, Korea, number one in the world in that. Someone's doing it. It's guys, mostly. Someone's doing it. Stop watching porn. Stop looking at porn. Don't consume porn. Be a gentleman. Be a leader. Please, man, we're, we're desperate. Be a leader, especially in the church. My goodness. I love that our, our gathering, every church that I've led and been a part of for the last 12 years, has had amazing females, a part of it. But you know, it's, it's crazy to me that evangelicalism, whether it's Korea or North America, it's, it's like somewhere between 60 and 65% women. Where are the guys? Step up. Be a leader. Be a hard worker. Be a steward of your money so that you are actually prepared to care for her, to have a family someday. Right? These are all the ways that we honor the women in and around our lives. And then second, not only are you called to honor women, guys, but you are called to, this is good, stay close to the king. Stay close to the king. Now, when Peter calls women heirs with you of the grace of life, or heirs with us of the grace of life, so that your prayers are not hindered, that assumes something, right? There's a couple assumptions there. First of all, guys, it assumes that you are an heir, that you are a follower of Jesus. But it also assumes, you have to do some work in the text here, but I think this will make sense. It also assumes that you are praying, guys, that you are praying in such a way that you would know if your prayers are being hindered. See that? And so if you don't think, if you never think about being an heir with Jesus, an heir of the kingdom, if you don't really care about the effectiveness of your prayer life, that really calls into question where you stand with Jesus. See, Peter is assuming here that you have, guys, that you have a vibrant and sincere walk with the Lord, that you are staying close to the king. So in your singleness, guys, men, you should be finding your joy and your purpose in him, placing him first at the center. Guys, find your rest in Jesus Pursue Jesus. Find joy and contentment in Jesus. I'm going to say that again. Find your contentment in Jesus. Because seriously, if you cannot, listen to me, if you cannot find contentment with Jesus now in your singleness, I promise you that you won't be content in your marriage for long. So find your satisfaction and contentment in him. And then as you stay close to King Jesus, as you find your contentment in him, put your singleness in its proper kingdom perspective. It's a trial. 
But it's not your only trial, and it won't be your only trial. Marriage is a trial that's coming for you as two sinners try to figure out life together. Parenting is a trial where two tired sinners are trying to herd little sinners who don't yet know that they are sinners. There are all sorts of trials to come. Life is full of trials from the beginning to its end. And again, that doesn't minimize the hurt and loneliness you might have right now, guys, as a single. But we do need to keep everything in perspective. True, deep contentment comes from staying close to the king. And the sooner you realize that, the better off you'll be. So guys, so guys, listen to me here. I'm going to ask you to do this. Leverage, leverage your singleness. Use your singleness to cultivate, like a farmer, right? To cultivate your relationship with the king of kings. Use your singleness. Use this season to to push you towards him, to learn more about him. Right now, right now, don't wait. Run hard after Jesus. Live on mission. Help build the church. Serve here. Lead here. Do not waste your life. Don't waste this time that Jesus has given you. He's given you this time right now to steward. So invest in it well. Use it well. And if you are supposed to get married, you will. So relax. Relax. Love the Lord. Love people. Pursue your God-given passions and gifts. Pray big and seek him and his kingdom. First, trusting Trusting him that all those other things will be added to you. So men, are you walking closely to King Jesus? Are you pure in heart? Do you honor women? Do you respect them? Peter says to you, prioritize in your life. Prioritize the honor of women. And prioritize staying close to the king while leaving the results in God's hands. And then I'll just close with this. We see all over the scriptures the Bible calling us over and over and over again to realize that Jesus is the only one. He's the only one who can give us the ultimate joy, peace, worth, and satisfaction that we are looking for. Jesus came to the earth He lived, he died, he rose again so that you and I could have a new identity, a new sense of worth, a new purpose, and a new life with him. And we receive this all by grace alone, through faith alone. Jesus did that for you. Why? Because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. So you need to recognize, doesn't matter, single or married, you need to realize that, that is the true relationship. That is the true marriage that our souls were created for. That even the best, the very best marriage on its own cannot fill you and cannot complete you. So singles, if you cannot find a deep, 
or develop a deep, fulfilling relationship with Jesus now, if you can't do that now, know that you will put so much pressure, so much weight on your marriage later. Because what you're going to do, and you might not think about it now, but you will do this. You'll look to your spouse as a sort of savior figure. If you're looking for somebody to complete you, that person's going to become like a savior figure to you, which will always set your relationship up for failure every time. Your future husband, your future wife, they are not Jesus. They are not a savior. But, but if you learn to rejoice in Jesus, you will be able to handle singleness. You'll be fulfilled now, fully just like Jesus, even amidst the pain and heartache that your singleness might bring you at times. So singles, you are not on hold. You are not stuck in an elevator. For some of you, this is a gift. So you are good to go. You're listening today, I'm good, I'm great. I'm good to go, I'm content. Love my life, love the Lord, living for his kingdom. For others of you that are single, this is a trial. But again, know that God is working through it for his glory and for your good. If you have eyes to see it and ears to hear. So trust him. He is good. He is with you. He is for you. He loves you. He's working even when you don't see it. So leverage your singleness. Ladies, because you belong to Jesus, because you belong to Jesus, you are in Christ. Prioritize who you're becoming. And prioritize the adorning of your heart. And guys, because you belong to Jesus, prioritize honoring women, all women. And prioritize staying close to the king. And then you can all leave the rest in God's hands. Amen? Let's pray together.